0: The Telegraph Telegraph.
1: podcasts. In
2: 2020, when the statue of Robert Baden Powell, the founder of the Scouts movement, was threatened to be removed in Poole, Dorset, locals and Scouts from around the country came to defend the monument.
1: Who, Who wants to knock it down? No, they can knock me down first.
2: For him, what he's done for me
3: is just wonderful.
2: The statue remains overlooking Brown Sea Island, where Baden-Powell took 20 boys on the first ever Scouts Adventure in 1907. However, his detractors accused Baden-Powell of having Nazi sympathies and of committing terrible crimes in colonial Africa. So, is it right to admire the man who started one of the greatest youth movements worldwide as Scouts? The youth of the nation learned to respect each other's beliefs and origins. Or should we scrub his name from history? To find out more about the founder of the Scouts, I spoke to Tony Ransley, a Scouting historian who would be answering my questions around baden Powell's life and controversies. We would venture through baden Powell's time as a spy, a Victorian hero of the Boer War, and as the man who began a youth movement that boasts today of over 30 million members. As with all good scouts, Baden-Powell began his story adventuring, in his case, in the Victorian countrysides of England. Let's start by talking about Baden-Powell's early life. How did his early life impact his view to the outdoors?
3: It was a, in many ways, atypical upper-middle class Victorian childhood. He went to a prep school and then on to public school. Public school moved from central London to a rural location, and that's where he really found his interest in the countryside, mainly by bunking off school into an out-of-bounds area where he lit fires and generally had a fairly anarchic time. It was the adventurous activities which he tended to learn from more than the classroom. He learned just enough of the Victorian values and that to be acceptable in society, but he was really more into the practical adventure.
2: So in terms of the context, so people understand who Baden-Powell was, obviously born in 1857 into the Victorian era as you say, he sort of grew up in this kind of middle-class English lifestyle. He didn't go to university. What did he do then? This, was- this
3: is where, when I say he wasn't particularly academic, it gets a little bit more complicated. His father was a university professor. His two older brothers had secured place at university. He failed both entry exams, He both attempts he did. He did two entry exams, he failed them both. And then he passed very high on the officer's entry exam to Sandhurst, where he he came very high in his his thing. So he obviously could pull it out when the subjects were based around practical application of skills, but he failed quite miserably when it came to the academic side of life. So it's an interesting paradox.
2: So he joins the army in 1876, and... Can we talk about his sort of values when he joined the army? Was he particularly religious? Was he patriotic? What were his values?
3: Anyone growing up in Victorian Britain, public school, educated, would have a set of values which either came down to social Darwinism or muscular Christianity. And I think he was more on the muscular Christianity side of things. Quite religious in a practical sort of way and quite Robust in his view of other peoples and, and the world. He viewed the British Empire as a civilising force in the world and he thought he he had enough evidence of the behaviour of other, empire, other European empires to think that possibly it was better for everybody if they were under British rule than, say, the Belgians or the Germans.
2: One of the most fascinating things about Baden-Powell is his early experiences in the army as a spy And he also obviously learns these key skills in scouting as well. So can you talk about that period of time when he was sort of spying in Malta and things like that?
3: After an initial service in the army in India, he was recruited by a relative to be on the staff in Malta. And this is where it is alleged he started his spying career by taking private trips, often on his own initiative, to foreign outposts and wrecking their defences and things like that. The, the famous story, which may or may not be true, was that he often pretended to be a butterfly collector and he sketched the maps of fortifications onto the pictures of the butterflies so that when the guards came along and saw him they just thought that it was a mad eccentric Englishman, of which there were many, so collecting butterflies.
2: In terms of his learning those skills, which he would later publish in several books around scouting, can you talk about that period in his time in the army?
3: His specialism was deep reconnaissance. He trained and training troops for deep reconnaissance missions, which was called scouting in those days, and his special forces work these days. He was a special services officer, which means special forces officer in today's parliament. He trained his men to operate in far smaller groups than was normal, be self-sufficient and be stealthy, which was also not the normal for the Victorian army. They were still, because a a lot of the people they were fighting were not as well equipped as they were, they were still teaching musket drill when they were using modern rifles. He was one of the first to advocate that actually this was not a very good idea and that men, even the private soldiers, needed to be trained to use their initiative and act on their own initiative rather than wait for officers to give orders.
2: Let's talk about the reason Baden-Powell became famous originally. And this is in 1899, during the Boer War. And he has this fantastic defence of this village. So can you give people an idea of what happened and why Baden-Powell became such a hero in the British eyes?
3: Baden-Powell was ordered to proceed to South Africa and raised two regiments of mounted infantry in order to basically conduct guerrilla warfare against the Boers. He put the first group, the more experienced ones, under Colonel Plummer, and sent them out to outside Mafeking. And he used the second regiment, the less experienced bush fighters, to garrison Mafeking. War was declared. 7,000 Boers turned up at Mafeking, which was strategically important and emotionally, uh, psychologically important. So he had these inexperienced troops going up against some of the best light horse in the world, and he thought the best way he can use inexperienced troops against the Boers would be to provoke a siege. So he entrenched himself at um, Mafeking and made the Boers fight on his terms rather than their terms,
2: So the siege lasted 217 days and Baden-Powell, this is a really interesting time for him because he starts using those innovations, those sort of reforming acts in practice in real life. Can you talk about some of the interesting tricks he did to confuse the boars, etc.?
3: Well, there was a lack of barbed wire. So he kept the boars at at a distance by uh, rifle fire and things like that he also had his men hammer stakes into the ground and then put string with bits of tin to reflect it along the stakes and had them climb over the bits of string as if it was barbed wire. After getting rid of an enormous supply of dynamite in one go at the beginning of the siege by leaving a railway truck outside Mafeking with a Union Jack on it, and a few firecrackers, which went off when the boars approached. They all opened up on the um, wagon. It happened to be full of several thousand pounds of dynamite, uh, which went off with quite a satisfying bang. Discouraged incursions before, but he also used up all the supply of dynamite because there had been a miscommunication, and they'd virtually taken the whole lot, and there was only a couple of sticks left in the store. So he, he had people very biscuit tins very carefully and very gingerly and then he exploded one to give the impression that the biscuit tins were mines and that the entire area was mined. He also did morale boosting things like having cricket matches and entertainments and things like that, which the Boar commander
2: asked to be invited to. (laughs) War back then was a very different game to Eh, today. It was if you were white. Well, quite. This is a really interesting point you make because Whilst Baden Powell was commended at the time by his Victorian friends in Britain, as I said, he was seen as this, this hero of Mafeking who defended against you know, and was the first sort of major victory, as you, you could say, in the Boer War for the British. Yet today it's controversial. There are some who say that he on purposely starved the African local population in order to allow for his men to be fed, for example. What do you say to that accusation?
3: That accusation was first made by Thomas Pakenham, Lord Longford, in his book on the Boer War. When Tim Gill wrote Baden Powell's biography, he examined the source material Thomas Pakenham had used and found that a large chunk of the diary, which is called the Neely Diary, had been edited in such a way that it reflected very badly on Baden-Powell. Up until Christmas, everyone being quite content to feed to feed the, the refugee population, after Christmas, when it said, your rations are going to have to last longer, Baden-Powell ordered a Colonel Plummer outside Mafeking to set up feeding stations, and then he cut off the food supply of the refugees and organised and escorted exodus out of Mafeking to the feeding stations outside the lines. Where they should have been safe, when they tried to organise the exodus of the refugees, the Boers attacked the refugees and the refugees fled back in. The actual Neely diary, which uh, Thomas Packham edited, said that as soon as Baden-Powell found out what the true situation was, he ordered all, all the starving to be collected, and he organised food kitchens, which included killing the cavalry reserve horses in order to feed the refugees, uh, therefore totally destroying any mobility his his force had. The the accusation that he deliberately starved Africans to death is totally bogus and is based on false research.
2: Around the time of Mafeking was also the, the sort of seeds of the scout movement was beginning. So there's two questions on that. The first is, Baden-Powell published this book, Aids yes. to Scouting, yes. and it became a sort of instant bestseller in Britain, even though it was aimed at a military audience. So that's interesting. And the second thing about Mafeking is it's also a time when Baden-Powell saw the value, potentially, in young men, because the, the soldiers, the adults were having to sort of go out and defend the town... And the young men had to sort of take their responsibilities within Mafeking uh, over, and, and sort of the, the cadets there were very, very useful to the British. So, can you talk about both AIDS to Scouting and that experience in Mafeking?
3: Okay. AIDS to Scouting for NCOs and men was a military manual on reconnaissance, deep reconnaissance, how to live off the land, how to move without being seen, games you could play to train yourself to do that. And of course, that went down an absolute storm with the Victorian boys who read it, and it really, I mean, before you knew it, you had people emulating baden Powell scouts at Mafeking in the Victorian countryside. The actual cadet force in Mafeking was run more along the lines of an army cadet force or a public school rifle corps than scouting.
2: So this is the early seeds of the scouting movement being planted in the early 20th century. Can you talk about what inspired Baden-Powell to take a group of boys to Brown Sea Island in 1907, and there was sort of a mix of different classes of boys, and he wanted to test out this theory that he had. So can you talk about the early moments of the scouting movement?
3: One of the things which he's inspired him was running to catch up with what the boys were already doing. As I say, they'd, they'd got hold of scouting for NCOs and men. They were tracking through everybody's countryside. Well, not everybody's countryside, particularly the landowner's countryside, and were in danger of making a nuisance of themselves. So there was a requirement on or responsibility on him to get hold of that particular wildfire movement. So in
2: 1907, he takes a group of boys to Brownsea Island? Yes,
3: to try out uh, all his theories, because they were theories at the time, and he wanted to make sure that they all worked did his best to make sure that they were all from different backgrounds, but I think he underestimated the difficulties that very poor families would have sending their kids to a a camp like that. So he tended to get the upper working class and middle class and a sprinkling of public school boys all together, mixing in, um, operating in small groups, cooking for themselves. And that was quite revolutionary to have young boys taught or instructed to cook for themselves in Victorian times. He proved that his scouting method of training worked with young boys in a social environment, as well as it worked for NCOs and
2: privates in a military environment. So he rewrites his book in uh, the next year, in, in 1908, Scouting for Boys in sort of various different versions, isn't, isn't that right? So why did he do that, and did that become an instant bestseller It was a as
3: genuine well? attempt to demilitarise scouting aids for NCOs and men and make it more acceptable to parents and the clergy and teachers and things like that.
2: Why do you think it became such an instantly popular movement, not just within Britain, but again, around the world?
3: Well, if you've read Scouting for Boys, it's totally bonkers. It is the most magnificent, terrible, wonderful mash of cultures and ideas and things. He's quite openly telling industrialised European adults that Africans and Native Americans and people are bringing up their children far better than we are in the West. It's not top-down. I've got this wonderful idea called the National Citizen Service. Let's do it through the government. It's kids on Rona's Lane are bored They want something to do. Adults in Rona's Lane want them to do something. Here's a pattern of things and an organisation which they can join, which will give them the opportunity to get muddy and smoky and cook their own food or burn their own food and things like that. It's quite a liberating philosophy.
2: And this is why it becomes such a success, surely. And what's interesting is World War I was quite disruptive in a way to the Scouts movement, obviously, for obvious reasons. Yeah. And then in 1920, there's this sort of jubilee, isn't there? It's a grand um, jamboree, I should say. Grand sort of international jamboree. And baden powell is declared, is it the Chief Scout of the world at this point? Yes. So can you talk about sort of how the initial sort of popularity of the Scouts movement at this time?
3: Despite the fact it was written... As a way of strengthening the empire, helping the empire with its civilizing mission, because of its universal appeal, because it had been taken from aspects had been taken from so many cultures, it was almost universally applicable. So just as Scouting for NCOs and men had started a wildfire movement amongst young people in Britain. Scouting for Boys had started a wildfire, or translations of it had started a wildfire movement in all over the world, partly because it was good for things and partly because the authorities, the church, and that saw it as an alternative to communism, which was rising up at the time. And it, there's always been a issue between communists and the Scout movement, because the Scouts were the, one of the first successful international movements, and they the communists had to come in with guns and make, you know, take over places at the point of a gun to to get their philosophy.
2: And in a way, scouting is completely the opposite to communism because people—it's all about sort of being an individual and taking the initiative. And at the time, this is a really interesting discussion to be had because. In the nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties, you had all these radical ideologies around the world which are spreading. So communism here, you've got fascism there, and obviously Baden Powell is right within these controversies at the time. So let's talk about his links with fascism, which is one of the main reasons why people today are trying to cancel Baden Powell. Okay. So we come to the nineteen early nineteen thirties, and I want to quote from Powell's diary when he talks he he meets Mussolini in nineteen thirty three. And he describes him as a small, stout human and genial, told me about Balia and workmen's outdoor recreations, which he imposed through moral force. Tim Gill, the author of the biography of Powell, described Baden-Powell as uh, having a distrust of communism, which led to his implicit support through naivety of fascism. Do you think that Baden-Powell was a fascist?
3: Let's go back to 1918, before the first international scout jamboree. There were two forces at work within scouting. There were the internationalists under Hubert Martin, and there were the uh, folkists or bulkists under John Hargrave. Now, John Hargrave was a young, charismatic scout official who was head of Woodcraft training at Gilwell Park, the Scout Training Centre, and he was very much into the German, I can't pronounce the names without mangling them, so I'm going to call it Folkist Movement, which was about, after the war, rejecting everything which had caused the war, going back to Germanic paganism, going back to Nordic tribal culture where the strong men led, and things like that. There's a very real danger, Is Baden-Powell had been a fascist that he could have supported John Hargrave against Hubert Martin and would have had a very insular northern European youth movement. You know, the Volkists in Germany were a seedbed of Nazism and the way um, Bain powell described John Hargrave was that his ultra views had made him go off at the wrong tangents and he blocked any further promotion for John Hargrave. And he encouraged the setting up of international committee under Hubert Martin. So even at its seedbed, Baden-Powell had rejected the first signs of fascism within the scout movement. He'd gone to Italy not to see Mussolini, but to see the Pope. And one of the subjects of discussion was um, criticism of socialist eugenics, and um, fascist eugenics which were both on the rise at the time which was killing off people who were uh, weakening the race so he'd gone for that reason he'd been polite to Mussolini and he was very impressed with the support that Mussolini's government was given to the youth movement there because he had realised that without Government support, scouting was never going to reach the deprived communities that he wanted to reach, and what he saw was a nationalised youth service in the form of the Bellini, which was actually just a, a, a cadet force. That's where his support for fascism comes in. He did not like Bolshevism. He'd been talking to the Tsar before the war, and the Tsar had set up the Boy Scout movement, in was a patron of the Russian Boy Scout movement. The Tsar had wanted to introduce it into his educational thing. It looked like Russia was going to be the first people to introduce, introduce scouting, his scouting method into an educational curriculum. The Tsar, of course, had been killed by the Bolsheviks. There was a very unfortunate memo sent out by the Bolsheviks in 1920 which said they had liquidated the scouts in Moscow. The translation liquidated in Russian also means dissolved. The interpretation was that they had actually executed the scouts in Moscow. They didn't do that until nineteen twenty five, when the scouts the Moscow scouts were still operating underground, their leaders were taken into the gulag
2: and shot. Let's also talk about now this is you know, this is the main accusation against Baden powell as it were, and we're gonna go on to the, the BBC's interpretation of this as well, which is, I want you to comment on. So Baden-Powell wrote in his diary after reading Mein Kampf, this, in 1939. Lay up all day, read Mein Kampf, a wonderful book with good ideas on education, health, propaganda, organisation, etc. And ideals which Hitler does not practice himself. So the accusation against Powell is that he was a fascist who supported the Nazis. Can you dive into that?
3: Okay. well, let's go for that. And thank you for being the first journalist I know who's actually got that entire quote from Baden-Powell's diary. First point to note, it is in 1939. So he's reading Mein Kampf in 1939, hardly the action of a died-in-the-wall Nazi supporter, It totally out of order to cut the last phrase off and make it into uh, unclear...
2: Sort of phrase. just praise of Hitler, exactly. Yeah. yeah.
3: Now, if you go into the details of the bits that he praises, and you have the unpleasant task of reading those from Mein camp, you'll find there are either bits which lift directly from Faden Powell's views on education, or directly praise the British for the way they've handled things.
2: So there are other accusations to do with Baden-Powell and the Scouts' links with the Nazis at the time. So there's talk about Baden-Powell meeting Ribbentrop, who was the Nazi ambassador, the German ambassador to Britain at the time, and liaising with other sort of leaders of the Hitler youth at the time. So can you talk about his connections, Baden-Powell's connections with the Nazis, other than this one quote about Mein Kampf?
3: Okay. Well, this is taken where I can see from a radio broadcast, the BBC document programme Camping with Hitler, and that is allegedly about the Boy Scout, British Boy Scouts' friendly relations with the Hitler youth and an exchange trip which happened between Tamworth Boy Scouts and the Hitler youth. It does not mention the policy of the Boy Scout movement at the time, towards the Hitler Youth, which was formulated in 1935 by Hubert Martin and said quite clearly that contact between the Boy Scouts and the Hitler Youth is undesirable. And a year later they issued an edict which said Scout associations must not invite Hitler Youth to visit other countries. So there was an embargo a boycott of activities with the Hitler Youth going on from 1935 to 1945 when the Hitler Youth was finally destroyed. What Baden-Powell was doing was arguing the generally held view in Britain at the time that every effort should be made to avoid war with Germany and that after the success of the, the Olympics that possibly the Scouts should consider establishing friendly relations with the Hitler Youth in order to build peace. Hubert Martin stuck to his guns all the way through 1937 and 1938 until he finally died of cancer in 1939. Um, The only concession that Baden-Powell managed to get after Hubert Martin had resigned was a very brief concession that any Boy Scouts visiting Germany could wear their uniform in Germany, because up until then they weren't allowed to wear uniforms in Germany. BBC appears to have got hold of a peace and friendship visit from boys in Tamworth, who the Scout leader wanted to take on a youth exchange, but had been refused permission because of the boycott. It is quite clearly stated in the local paper that these boys were not travelling as Boy Scouts, but as individuals. But the BBC has ignored that, as it has ignored the Scout Association policy, in order to link Baden-Powell with being a fan of Hitler who organised exchange trips between Boy Scouts and the Hitler Youth. I'd like them to explain where their source material for that accusation is, because I've written to them several times and they have not answered my question.
2: Recently, a Labour parliamentary candidate, prospective candidate, accused Baden Powell of being homophobic and of having Nazi links. So, what do you talk I when mean, we've talked about the Nazi links? What do you talk about this on this accusation of homophobia?
3: It's very difficult to defend someone born in 1857 against the accusation of having Victorian values. And homophobia was a Victorian values, which Thankfully, we have progressed from
2: let's talk about Baden Powell's legacy and towards the end, so he dies in 1941 he goes back to Africa in the last few years of his life. And at this point, where is the Scouts movement at? Is it a global movement? Is it, is it significant?
3: It is the biggest voluntary co-educational youth movement in the world, including if we include the guides, by far, it has brought millions of young people together. It has helped the lives of millions of young people. Boy Scouts were on the first civil rights action, the silent parade in New York against lynchings, and they were distributing leaflets there explaining what the parade was all about there. They fought a decade of political and armed resistance to the Nazis during the Second World War. Boy Scouts committed the most successful sabotage raid conducted by the SOE against the. Heavy water plant at Telemark, and they were intimately involved in the largest resistance action in the war, the Warsaw Uprising, where they formed some of the best fighting units that the Home Army had. We will always, hopefully, stand up for the Scout principles of respect and friendship and courage.
2: Against all of the accusations I've made against Baden Powell in this interview, What can you offer as his overall defence as a man, as a human being?
3: He was a very complicated man who had several very successful careers over a large number of years and showed at least a learning arc going from wanting to make the empire pay in his first writings to wanting the empire to do the best for all people of any colour. So... There was a learning arc. It wasn't the smoothest learning arc in the world and it wasn't the most easily identifiable. But his legacy as a youth worker is absolutely immense in the world, which is possibly why there's so many people out to bring him down.
2: We want to know what you think. Is Baden-Powell a man to look up to or is he to be remembered as a colonial Nazi sympathiser? Let us know by emailing podcasts at telegraph.co.uk. If you enjoyed this episode of History Defended, follow us on your podcast app. Rate and leave us a review. Next week, we'll be investigating whether Douglas Haig was the butcher of the Somme or the victor of the First World War.